Lots of ground to cover here this morning. Last week, I started in with a message entitled, um, Israel, Hamas, and Bible Prophecy. And we got, we got like a little bit into it and just had to let it go because there was a lot of information. There is a lot of information here. So I'll have to go back and pick up a, a little bit on, um, on some of the things we covered last week and then, we'll, then we will um, press on. Um, it's important that we keep our eye on Israel because the Bible is a book about Israel. It's all about Israel. It's about the history of Israel, and it's also about prophetically things that God has yet to do in Israel. And all of the things that are, that are most important in our world, the, the centerpiece of God's plan is Israel. It has always been that piece of property. Right on back to Abraham. Abraham offered his son on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is Israel. It is where the Temple Mount is. The Temple Mount today covers Mount Moriah. It has always been there. This has been the centerpiece of God's plan. So uh, the Bible, I'm sorry, um, a Savior was born in Israel. A Savior died, was crucified in Israel. A Savior was raised eternal life, raised to eternal life uh, in Israel. And a Savior is coming back to Israel. And that may be happening a little quicker than some of us might be thinking about. So it's important we keep our eyes on Israel. Like a couple of weeks ago, of course, there was the terrible October 7th uh, disaster when um, 1,500 Hamas terrorists broke through the security fence that surrounds Gaza, broke into a couple of kibbutzim, um, uh, shot a whole lot of people up at that uh, concert that was going on. And the only way you could really describe the whole thing is just simply to say it was pure evil. It, pure evil to walk in and just kill indiscriminately like that. A terrible thing. But what is really good is it has taken the mask off. And now we see this thing for what it really is. Hamas is a terrorist organization. That's what it has always been. We'll look at their charter in a few moments, a couple of a little statements, but that's what they are all about. Hamas exists for one reason, to kill Jews as many as possible, as often as possible, and to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Their, their, their motto is, from the river to the sea, they mean they would push the Israelis out into the Mediterranean and they would be gone. That's, the, that's what Hamas is all about. It is a terrorist organization with one stated purpose. That one stated purpose is literally, literally to destroy Israel. So for the first time in 50 years, um, and at that time, that was the, the Yom Kippur War, Israel has now officially declared war against Hamas terrorism. Um, yeah, amen. And they, and they had to. They had to do this. There is no other way. There is no negotiation. You, you remember the three no's that I presented when the, uh, when the Arabs met in Khartoum, I think in 1952, they, they decided there would be three things that they were going to say no to. No recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel, uh, and no peace with Israel. So if you can't negotiate and you can't, and, and, no, and the person will not recognize that Jewish people have a right to exist somewhere. It's amazing that there are 22 Arab states in the world. So when they talk about displaced 
Palestinians, and that's an issue. It, it, it truly is an issue. There are people who were living in certain properties, and in 1947-48, when the UN made a decision and Jews began to return en masse, there were people who were displaced. Yes, there was an issue, and there are things to be resolved. But when the Arabs all met together in 52, later on to discuss their position, particularly the Muslim Arabs, their position was no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel, no peace with Israel. Every time there has been any type of a discussion up to the Oslo Accords with, uh, uh, at, at the time of um, uh, Carter, or no, um, geez, Clinton, there it is, okay? All, they have met over and over and over and over again, but the answer is always no. No matter what has been given, no matter how much land has been redirected or, or reapportioned, to give land back to, the, um, back to the Arabs and to the Palestinian people, the answer is always no. In other words, we will not recognize you. We will not, um, we will not affirm that Israel has a right to live in this world, and they are just simply interested in um, destruction. So we're going to devote today's teaching to answering the five following questions. Who or what is Hamas? Why is Hamas so intent on destroying the Jewish people? What is the history of the Palestinians in the land of Israel? Why are so many of America's youth and young adults supporting the Palestinian cause today? And how might any of this fit? How might any of this fit into uh, biblical prophecy about the end times? So let's start with the first question. And we kind of, uh, well. I thought I was going to start with, what, who or what is Hamas? Hamas is a terrorist organization. Uh, the name Hamas is actually an Arabic acronym, which stands for the Islamic Resistance Organization. It actually um, has two meanings in, Ara- in Arabic. The word Hamas means zeal or in strength, but it's, inter- is it, but it's interesting that in, in Hebrew, the word, there's a, ver- a very similar word. It is Hamas, so a slightly different pronunciation with a little bit of a guttural sound on the front end. Um, in, in, in Israeli, the word Hamas means violence, which is certainly a more appropriate definition uh, of, for what Hamas is really all about. Hamas doesn't care about anyone or anything that stands in their way of their acknowledged mission, mission, which is to kill Jews and wipe Israel off the face of the earth, literally. Okay, and it's not me saying this, it is their own charter Um, which, as adopted in 1988, says the following. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as Islam obliterated others before it. Also, in Article 7 of the Hamas Charter, it says this. The day of judgment would not come until Muslims fight and kill the Jews. See, that's what it is. Um, So so much is bound up in... um, this terror organization, Hamas, because they they really only have one goal. They really only have one outcome, and that outcome is to destroy Israel. So they'll not be satisfied with any other outcome, and so this thing will just continue to go on and on and on. And that's why Israel has declared war, because they have to move against it in in a decisive way, because it's just like a, a, a... festering sore that keeps on, uh, there'll be another terrorist attack, there'll be another event, there'll be another thing that will happen, it will go 
over and over again. So they have one stated unrelenting desire. Um, it is to kill Jews, to wipe Israel and, uh, off the face of the earth and to replace it with an Islamic state. And to this end, they will kill and destroy anyone or anything that stands in the way of that mission. And we're not just talking about Jews. They're also more than happy to kill Palestinians as well. That, that, where that concert was happening in southern Israel um, on the 7th, when, they, when these uh, paragliders came in and just started shooting people up, there were not only Jews there, there were also Arab Israelis, Arab Israelis. By the way, I, I came across, oh, I don't want to do that. I came across um, an interesting quote. Um, it's from the Pew Research Center. The title of the article was Mixed Views of Hamas and Hezbollah in Largely Muslim Nations. Now here's what it says, in terms of the esteem or the way people think about the Jews in these Middle Eastern countries, it says, in Arab nations, attitudes toward Jews remain extremely negative. More than 90% of Egyptians, Jordanians, Lebanese, and Palestinians express unfavorable views toward Jews. Only 35% of Israeli Arabs, however, express a negative opinion. Did you get that? Okay, 90% of people in the Middle East have a, neg have a pretty negative view of the Jews and the Jewish people, right? But the Arabs who live in Israel, in Israel the Arab Israelis, um, the, um, only 35% of them have a negative opinion. As I, I said last week, you know, uh, someone in, on another video I was watching said, if, a, if the stork is dropping off a baby to one of the Palestinians, he ought to pray that, the, um, that he drops that baby into Israel somewhere. Because the people, uh, the Arab people have more rights in the land of Israel than they do in any other Arab country. So Israel, um, Israeli Arabs um, have, a, have a much better opinion of the, of the uh, of the Jews that, uh, that they are around. So they live, they work, they raise families without opposition, without oppression in the land of Israel. They, they peacefully coexist with Jews and they have full rights as equal citizens in Israel. Um, so I wanna give you a little bit of a history of Hamas. I wanna break, I think last, last week I presented some of this but it got a little long and it probably, I started to see people's eyes start to glaze over. But we'll do a little bit of this. Oh, that's what I was looking for. Who or what is Hamas? Okay, 1987, Hamas was founded by Sheikh Ahmed Yassin. Uh, 1988, um, Hamas published its charter calling for the destruction of Israel and the establishment of an Islamic state in its place. I just read you a little bit of its charter. Um, in 1993, Hamas begins suicide bombings uh, in Israel. That continues. Uh, until 1997, Hamas is designated as a terrorist organization by the United States. In 2000, they began their deadly intifada, and intifada is an uprising of Palestinians against Israelis. Uh, that's when the Israelis began to put up security fence and began to put things together in order to protect themselves. There were constant, um, constant terrorists coming across the border strapped with dynamite or strapped with some means to, to destroy and they would go in because they just, they, they just blended in with all the other Arab people. So it wasn't like you could tell one person from another person and then they would slip through the border and then, and then there would be a great, a bus would get blown up, a restaurant would get blown up, something would, would happen and this was going on continuously. Um, in 2005, let me see, 
Yeah, in 2005, Israel evacuated all military and civilian settlers and built a barrier around Gaza for national security. In 2006, Hamas won a surprise victory in Palestinian parliamentary elections and seized full control of Gaza. So, so this area of Gaza, it, Hamas is actually the governing body over Gaza. They are the officially recognized governing body. And, it, and, and so you, if you, when you have a terrorist organization that is the governing body, you're going to have a lot of in, uh, instability and a, a good deal of trouble. And so that's who Israel's neighbor has been. And um, they, were, they were elected um, in, for, in a free election, but there has been no, no free elections since then. They were elected by the people to, uh, to actually be the governmental authority in that area. So let me see, we have... Yeah, and then we have October 7th, 2023, Hamas terrorists penetrate the security fence around Gaza and 1,500 terrorists attack, slaughter, and abduct Jews in the worst mass murder of Jews since the Holocaust. Since the Holocaust. So when you really look at the situation, the Palestinian people have no one to blame for their suffering except Hamas. It's very easy to try to make it look like it is Israel that is making life difficult for the Palestinian people, but it's not true. The Palestinian people um, only have Hamas because Hamas takes all international help, all international aid, everything that comes their way, and they spend it on their mission, which is to destroy Israel. So they, they've, they've loaded up with munitions and, and, and they have not helped the people who live in Gaza, the Arab people, they have not helped those people whatsoever. The place is a, is a disaster. And Israel has actually been supplying the water. Israel has been supplying the electricity. Now all that has been cut off. But it, was, it has been Israel who has been a benefactor to Gaza um, throughout all of this time. So... Um, yeah, so um, they've taken all their resources and devoted it to the destruction of Israel rather than helping improve the condition of the Palestinian people that they supposedly represent. Which brings us then to the second question. Why is Hamas so intent on destroying the Jewish people? Let me get a drink. Now there are ideological answers to this question, there are political answers, there are religious answers to this question, but what I wanna give you this morning is the spiritual answer to the question, why is Hamas so intent on destroying the Jewish people? It all goes back to a controversy. It all goes back to an animosity that is first recorded in the Bible in the book of Genesis. It brings us back to a guy in the book of Genesis called Abram. Abram lives around 2000 BC. Abram is, of course, the father of the Jewish people, but he was not a Jew. Abram was a Gentile living in Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. He was actually quite prosperous, and Ur of the Chaldees was um, a very good place to be. He had a good family there. Um, it was in the uh, Fertile Crescent, but, some got, but God came along, spoke to him one day, and made a promise to him. God said, Abram, if you will do what, what I'm asking you to do, I'll make you the father of a great nation. I'll make you the father of many nations. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And God gave him this five-fold promise in the book of uh, Genesis. And, and then um, Scripture goes on to say, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, which sets up a whole teaching about how 
a person can be righteous before God. We, be, we become righteous before God by believing God. God, attri- God attributes righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. God ascribes righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so God made him a promise, but it had a condition. He had to leave where he was, and he had to go somewhere that he didn't know, which is kind of a paradigm for the way God works. You know, he sees you where you are, and he says, all right, I got something for you. Let's get up and let's get going. Well, where are we going, Lord? I'll let you know when you get there. Okay, and this is basically the pattern that was established in Abram's life. And so Abram was just told, Abram, get up, get away from your father, get away from your family, get away from your kindred, and get going, and I'll let you know when you get there. And so Abram believed God. That was the key. He got up. He got his stuff together, made a couple mistakes along the way, brought Lot with him, made a couple of mistakes, didn't really, uh, didn't really need to do that, and that turned out to be a little ugly. But it was, it was the, he was the, he's the paradigm of how we are to respond to God. We are to respond to God by believing what he says and then obeying it and practicing it. That's how it works. It's really not too complicated. It's pretty straightforward. So, <clears throat> Um, essentially, inevitably, or eventually, he had a, a child. Let me see if I can. Abram was 75 years old when God called him. 75 years old, he didn't have any children. Sarah was probably roughly the same age, no children. And God tells him at 75 years old, you're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. And, and all of this stuff that God, that God said to him, if he would just obey, and so um, Abram believed God, and it's 25, he's, he's, uh, he's 75 at the time, we get all the way to the point where Abram is over 100 years old, and that promise still has not been fulfilled. And so, so along the line, do you think that maybe a little doubt might have crept in? Huh? Do you suppose? So when both turned 100, when they, when they had the 100th year birthday party, I'm, I'm thinking that Sarah probably said, you know, I, we, I think we must have this wrong. You must not have heard God right. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm thinking, you know? And, and that, that conversation had to be going on. And so at some point, his wife makes a suggestion. Look, I know what we'll do. I got my slave girl over here, and she's pretty much willing to do what, what, she, what I order her to do, what I tell her to do. And so I want you to have relations with, uh, with my slave girl, and maybe that'll be the way that we get this thing done. And so Abraham does, and he... Um, father's a child. The child's name is Ishmael. He's, Abram is, is overjoyed with this. He's fin- he finally has a son. He's 100 years old. He finally has a son. He loves this kid. But there's a problem. There's a problem between his wife and now Abram's, well, I wouldn't call her his mistress, but um, she is now the one who has the child, and Sarah still doesn't have a child, and you can just imagine what, how that played in that household, right? That was problems there. <clears throat> and so the tension just grew and grew and grew. Uh, Sarah couldn't handle it, and she finally said, you've got to get rid of this woman, get rid of this child. You've got to send them on their way. I can't handle it. I can't live like this. And so Abram at that point then has to release his son, who he loves, who's probably like well into his teenage years, right? And he's still, now, and now he's childless again, okay? But somewhere along the line, some few years later, within that time frame, I don't know exactly when, God comes along and an angel comes along and visits, um, that's a long story, isn't it? <laughs> 
the angel comes along and visits um, Abram, and, and it, while, he's, while, he, while this um, angel is there, he says to Abram, this time next year, Sarah's going to have a baby. And Sarah hears that and laughs. <laughs> she just thinks this is, what? She's, again, she's way out of childbearing years, right? And this angel says, at this time next year, Sarah, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. She's back in the kitchen somewhere, and she just breaks out laughing. Okay, she's just, she cracks up over this whole idea. It's so ridiculous, it's so preposterous, it's so impossible at this point. And so she just breaks out laughing. That is why the son that she has a year later is named Isaac, because the name Isaac means laughter. And she, she was just knocked out by this whole thing. But So a year later, Sarah, Sarah, well, some months later, uh, Sarah becomes pregnant and um, has, this, has this son, and this son's name is Isaac. So we have two sons here, uh, that Abram had. One, one son he had by, the, um, by his wife's handmaid. The other son he had by miracle, okay? Which do you think was the son of the promise? Isaac, right? Isaac was the son of the promise. He was the child, child of the promise. He was the, he was the miraculous supernatural kid. Where, and, and Ishmael um, had to go off into the wilderness. And there have been tensions between the children or the descendants of Ishmael, who are the Arabs, and the descendants of Isaac, who are the Jews, this tension has existed since. See, what happens when you, make a big time, when you make a mistake in the plan of God? Now, if he had never had that son, we wouldn't have a problem today. Really, right? That when they thought they could help God and do something to make God's plan work, they botched it up unbelievably. It, there, there's an there's important lesson in all of that. Sometimes you just got to let go and let God. So anyway, um, the descendants of Ishmael are the Arab people, the descendants of Isaac are the Jewish people. There has been contention between the children of Isaac and Ishmael since the book of Genesis. Genesis. And this is basically over a jealousy concerning that promise. The Arabs insist, now here's an important thing to, to factor in. The Bible was written by Moses, 1500 B.C., the book of Genesis was written by Moses um, at the direction of God under the inspiration of the Spirit, um, 1500 B.C. He, Moses is the guy who tells us the story, all that happened here with, um, with Abram and Isaac and, and, uh, and Ishmael. He's the guy that lays it all out. He lays it all out in 1500 B.C. Whoa, but wait a minute. Muhammad comes along some 2100 years later and says, Oh, no, no, Moses got it all wrong. Here's the way it really is. Ishmael is the son of the promise, and Isaac is an interloper. Isaac is a usurper. And so you have this tension between the Arab peoples who believe that Ishmael is the son of the promise and the Jewish people who believe that Isaac is the son of the promise. But that was affirmed 1500 B.C., and it took 2100 years for Muhammad to come along and, and change the story. And that is the heart of the tension. That is the spiritual issue at the heart of this matter. So it's basically a a matter of jealousy over the promise, but the the real vitriol, the real animosity, the real hatred by Hamas uh, and, and for others like them is just simple, it's plain, it is obvious, it is incited by Satan himself. Anti Semitism 
is at its core demonic and satanic. The hatred of Jewish people is something that Satan has always aroused among individuals because Satan will hate the Jews all the while that they are here and will do anything possible to to damage them in any possible way or will use anybody to damage them in any possible way because of what happened through the Jewish people. Christ came. Christ came through the Jewish people. Through the Jewish people, God fulfilled his promise. Through the Jewish people, God has made salvation available to everyone everywhere, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. So that people everywhere are being invited now to to be saved and to come back into right relationship with God. So this whole whole, um, matter of anti-Semitism is something that is incited by Satan himself. And here's why it continues. Here's Here's a passage from the book of Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in this little story. Excuse me, the dragon, obviously is symbolic of Satan. The woman with the... uh, uh, 12 stars and the sun uh, and, the, and the moon at her feet is obviously Israel. The child that she gave birth to is the child who would rule the nations with a rod of iron. It says of Jesus that he will rule the nations in, uh, with a rod of iron in, in Psalm 2. And so Satan has always stood opposed to the redemptive plan of God. He has done whatever he can to hinder, to thwart, to oppose, to ruin the plan of salvation which has come down to us through the Jewish people. Um, interesting, God chose this one man, Abram. Abram wasn't, Abram wasn't Jewish. He, w- he was just another Gentile. But God called him, but he, the, the important aspect was that he believed God. He believed the promise, and, so, and he was steadfast in, in that promise. And so his believing God uh, earned him the stamp of, of righteousness. God spoke to him, called, to, called him to venture out by faith to a land that God would give him. I'm um, just trying to move this along a little bit. Okay. God spoke to him and called him to venture out by faith to a land that God would give him and his descendants that through the seed of this man a nation would be born and ultimately give birth to the Jewish Messiah, who of course is Christ Jesus, who would be the Savior not just for Jews, but for the whole world. So Satan hates the redemptive plan of God. Any opportunity that he had to thwart it, um, he did. When... um, when Moses was born, because right, Satan knows what God, what God is up to. He does, he's not competition for God, he's, but he is interested in opposing, thwarting, and ruining this plan of redemption because the plan of redemption is bringing people 
like you and me, into the program and into the plan of God for forgiveness, for mercy, and for reconciliation, the plan of God is like functioning, it's working, and it's bringing salvation, it's bringing healing, it's bringing life, has been bringing life to this world for the last 2,000 years. You and I are just the latest beneficiaries of this glorious redemptive work that God has done. Satan has tried to oppose it at every turn. When Moses was born, slightly before that, the Pharaoh got a big idea. I think, you know, we're just getting too many, too many of these kids, too many of these Jewish kids around here, and these people are going to outnumber us a little while. You know, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to start killing the male children. And now, he didn't know what he was doing. And, and he, um, Pharaoh himself didn't know, but underneath there was a spiritual thing that, going, that was going on here, and the devil was working in Pharaoh to try to, if possible, destroy Moses at his birth. And you know the whole story of how Moses, his mother, took him and hit him, and then he went down the river. This, the same thing happened when, when Jesus was born with Herod, right? And, and when Christ was born, Herod hears from the, from the Magi that who, where is he born who is to be king of Israel? Herod gets very jealous over that, over the fact that some other king has been born, and so he decides to send his soldiers down and kill every male child that's down in uh, the Bethlehem area, which they do, right? Again, it is just like a under-the-radar type of a way in which Satan is always trying to destroy and undermine and ruin the plan of redemption because the plan of redemption is setting people free. Hallelujah. The plan of redemption is changing people's lives. It's working. And, and so the, 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 this matter of um, why Hamas is so that why there's so much vitriol, so much anger, so much opposition, um, it is all grounded in a demonic attempt to try to crush and destroy the plan and purpose of God. That's basically what it all boils down to. So if you've ever wondered uh, why all the hatred against this small, insignificant nation, um, here it is. Anti-Semitism is satanic. This is a spiritual war that's going on. It is fought in physical ways, but in, in essence, it is a spiritual war. That is the real answer. The populist answer, the common answer as to why Hamas has attacked Israel and why many Palestinians support what has been done is that they believe that the Jews are occupying the land that rightfully belongs to the Palestinian people. Israel is the occupier. Israel is a colonizer. And the Palestinians have been swindled. This is the populist answer. This is the common answer that people believe that the Palestinians have been swindled out of their land. So many have been led to believe that Israel is illegitimately in control of the land with help from the USA and uh, that the Palestinian people have a legitimate gripe of being defrauded, and Hamas is really rep just representing that right for them. That is the way the world sees this, but the, the real answer is that anti-Semitism is demonic, and it is pointed at Israel, and everything will, I mean, imagine, well, the Holocaust, right? The Holocaust, six, six million, it, just outrageous. And if, and if I, I was watching a couple of the, the videos of this break in uh, the, these uh, terrorist raids back in the 7th, and it was, if, have you, if, you, if, you, if you've seen that movie um, Schindler's List, there's that one really gruesome part of that movie where the Nazis just march into the ghetto in Warsaw and they just start liquidating people. They, they're yelling, everybody's yelling, screaming, 
guns are firing. That's what was going on. I was watching a video, and they're like, these guys who, who broke in on October, October the 7th, they break in, they start shooting, out, 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 out. You imagine waking up on Sabbath morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, hearing that, and then just watching people just get shot. 1,400 people just get shot. And so all of this is a demonic attempt to damage Israel, to hurt Israel in any possible way. That's where this anger, that's where this hatred comes from. It is a demonic hatred in the heart of Satan for God and for anything that God is doing. That's the truth. And I'm out of time. So here's where we're going to go, because if I get into this, um, we won't get out of here for half an hour. So the next one, we'll, we'll handle this next time I'm up preaching. What is the history of the Palestinians and of the land of Israel? And I'll show you a, a bunch of maps to show you the land that God originally gave to Abram, okay? It, and, and, and it was from the Euphrates River to the Nile, okay? All the way to a massive piece of property. Um, they have never really possessed it all. They have possessed some of it, and they possessed most of it during the reign of David and Solomon, um, then beyond that, the territorial picture changed somewhat, so we'll get into this next week. But I want, I, I want to, or I know I'm not preaching next week, Jamie is, I think. But I just want us to be informed about this. I find that people just don't understand and tend to buy the, the, the party line, tend to buy the populist answer that Israel is the occupier, Israel is a colonizer, and it just isn't true. That land was theirs 2,100 years before there was anything even called a Palestinian. Do you know that? Can I take another five minutes? All right. Mm -hmm. Give me six. Can I get six? The name Palestine um, was given by the emperor, the Roman emperor Hadrian in 135 AD. It was given after a a bit of a rebellion in Israel. The um, the Romans came and they were going to put that down. And, they, and they, they had had enough of Israel anyway, and so Hadrian decided that he would change the entire name of the place. They don't want to hear Israel anymore. We'll now call it Palestina. So that area was renamed by the Emperor Hadrian, 135 AD, as Palestina, and it was meant specifically to insult the Jews because their lifelong archenemies were the Philistines. Right? And so he named it after that people group, Palestina, and, and it was, that was meant to kind of um, denigrate the Jewish people. And so the, the area became known as Palestine over many years, but that name was only given to actually um, denigrate the Jewish people and to insult them. And so that's how, that's how it came to be Palestina. But the Jews are, go all the way back to 2000 B.C., back to the time of Abram, and have been the rightful inhabitants of that piece of property. And then they were, they were dispersed in 70 AD, they were scattered all over the globe, and, the mo- and, and one of the most amazing, miraculous things that ever happened is that 1947, 1948, the Na- United Nations Charter, Israel was once again allowed to come back to their homeland and to establish the Jewish state, and there's been trouble ever since. Because... Satan doesn't want that to happen, and he has never wanted that to happen. So that's, that's what we'll be looking at next time. What is the history of the Palestinians and of the land of Israel? Let's pray. Lord, you said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And we are desiring, O oh Lord God, to understand our world from the vantage point, from the perspective of what your word has to say about these matters. We thank you, O oh Lord God, that your eye is on Israel, and we thank you that great things are afoot, great happenings are going on. We don't know altogether where this is going to lead. It's a little scary, but Lord, we trust that you are moving to the completion of this great saving work, which will ultimately culminate when our Lord Jesus returns and comes back to Israel and sets up his kingdom. Hallelujah. We look forward to that, O oh God. So God, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding heart and mind. May we be able to speak the truth of this whole matter to the people that we come into contact with. And uh, Lord, we pray that you will just keep your hand on this nation over there as they're going through these troubled times. So we thank you, O oh Lord God. You provide for us the truth that we can know, that, that we can be set free by it. So we praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.